cool. So For that'll sure. be kind of like the general themes that we'll pull out. Yeah. If my yeah. husband heard me say that, he'd be like, Emily, you're trying to do too much. Narrow it down. <laughs> but I just have so many great things that I need to talk to you about. So it is what it is. We can do it. We can do it. We're both chatty. So we'll get it in. Exactly. <laughs> You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Lead Him to Life. Rachel Herbeck, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I just love you a lot. I don't even really uh, know you super well. I know, I feel like I know your family. I know your cousins and that kind of thing. And we knew each other in college. Um, But I follow you from afar on Instagram land and I just think you're the greatest. So I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Um, Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you reside in the world, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Well, my name is Rachel. Um, I currently live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I was born and raised, but for many years lived out in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Twin Cities, bopped between the two. Um, I went to college out there and then just kind of stuck around. Minnesota has a certain charm to it. It really um, does. That, that really keeps people there. So yeah. So when I was there, I did a lot of different things. I worked in real estate right after college. I had studied Catholic studies in college, but wanted to get my hands dirty in business a little bit. Um, And then ultimately ended up working as a lobbyist um, for the Minnesota Catholic Conference for a number of years before I headed back to my hometown to actually work for my parents. So I work in the family business, which is actually Catholic International Mission. So I work for an organization called Renewal Ministries, um, and I work for an organization within that called ID, and that stands for Intentional Disciples. We work with young people, essentially building communities in their parishes. So yeah, so... I'm a Midwest girl. I've, I've hopped between two Midwest states. Yeah. <laughs> now you just got to come to South Dakota to round it out. We'll get you there eventually. Exactly, exactly. Take a little tour in Iowa, something like that. Well, one time I did a talk in a parish that was, oh, I forget the name of it. Like started with an H. It was like way, way far in Minnesota. It was like basically the border of South Dakota. Okay. And yeah. it was the cutest town. They were like re- revitalizing like the one street that they had. And I stayed in this people's Airbnb and I was like, they were like, yeah, we get so much traffic on this Airbnb. And I was shocked. But I guess people come to rock climb a lot. They like hop the border and go to South Dakota to rock climb. Seriously? Yeah. Is that a thing? Uh, well, I mean, Dakota? it kind of depends on where you're at. Like uh, West River, South Dakota, I would definitely say has more rock climbing kind of thing. Okay. My husband would like it to be a little bit closer here. We have like a, a few parks and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say as though we're like world renowned rock climbing. It's, sure, okay. it's all right. But, but yeah. not they, might, they might have exaggerated a little bit. To me. Yeah, <laughs> We get so much traffic. I love it. That's good for them, though. That's awesome. Yeah, I was like, yes, I love this. They're like Killing bachelorette it. parties. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, wow, this little town on the border. Of South- so I've never actually been to South Dakota, but that's the closest that I've been. Oh, come visit anytime. We would love to have you. Okay. Rock climbing. (laughs) Yeah. We'll take you rock climbing. Um, You were a lobbyist in Minnesota for the Catholic conference. What, how in the heck did you even get into that? Because that had really nothing to do with your (laughs) education, right? Anything like that? Yeah. When I was in college, um, I, this is maybe because I'm like a youngest, like there's not much, I'm the youngest of four. There's not much that I really am like 
afraid of. So like, I tend to think that I'm qualified for anything and will do anything. <laughs> like I just, I just like to try things. Um, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. So when I was in college, I really was passionate about protecting the family, um, and pro-life issues, all these different things. And, um, it was really like when I got to Catholic studies that I started to see like Catholic social teaching and what like really like how to flourish as a human being, you know? And I was like, dang, this is so cool. I want to be able to like implement this into policy. So I interned in Washington, DC for a summer, kind of caught the political political bug, ended up leaving and being like, everyone is corrupt. I'm never working in politics again. Uh, fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> I wa- Okay. And- I wondered about how your time in DC was. Cause that's a really, I mean, it is, it's a, it's a different culture. Yeah. It's, it's very different. And it just, you really feel when you're there, at least for me, like I felt you feel that you're in the center of power in the world. Like you just do, like you feel it. Like, um, and I felt like the weight of a spiritual battle really, you know, like you go up on the Hill to lobby and, um, I, I had really good mentors, um, there who, who helped me and took me through it, but it was just seeing like, I just felt like everything was corrupt, you know, and it was, which is probably what a lot of people, a lot, maybe a lot of listeners feel right now about the government system or whatever it is. Um, but really like when you're there, it's, it's really a spiritual battle, you know, it's principalities fighting against each other. Um, and it's just people who are like everyone involved is just people. Some who have, like it says in Romans chapter one, who have like submitted their minds to darkness willingly through sin. We all have at some level, some people more than others, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's really what it is. And so it was really interesting to see. So I had the privilege of, I lived with a family in Maryland who had like six little kids. So I would like go to work and on the train and everyone thought like everything they were doing was so important. And then I got to go home to like this family that was amazing. And it was like, no, this is really, like, that's fascinating. Yeah. It's not really that important. Like who, you know, cause you walk into a room, everyone's like, who do you work for? Oh Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was a cool contrast for me because I really got to see like so much of like, wow, you guys really think that you're building something that's going to last. And then I get to go home every night to like this mom experience just, a like, family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a, and what a beautiful way to kind of stay rooted in exactly why you're doing what you're doing, like mm-hmm. at the service of the human person, at the service of the family uh, yeah. to encourage their flourishing and to encourage their wellness. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you were there for a little while and then kind of got burnt out. Yeah. I got, I got burnt out. I was like, no, this is not for me. Like it was one of those things that I was like, I know that I could do this. And actually my soul probably would get really caught up in it because of that part of me that wants to be important and wants to be known by the (laughs) world. Yeah. Um, And so I was like, probably dangerous for me to do it. And so I did some other stuff for a little bit. I helped open a Greek restaurant in Minneapolis and just kind of did some fun stuff in between. And then this position came up at the Catholic conference and um, I had known the director from some of the stuff that we had done at St. Thomas, a number of people who worked there did their masters in Catholic studies at St. Thomas. So there was a good amount of connections. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try it. It it was like, you had to be a, a lawyer to apply, but I was like, well, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to show up and see what <laughs> undergrad, happens. <laughs> undergrad degree. Uh, And really like the job was very public facing. It was also the lobbying kind of came into play later on. Um, But originally it was mostly just like traveling around the state doing outreach and informing people of the bishop's priorities. So it was very public facing. And I mean, I'm a preacher at heart. Like that's what I love to do. And so 
really like the job interview was like, make this presentation, talk about Catholic social teaching. And so I was just like, okay, Lord, if you want me to have this, like, I'm going to try my best and you give it to me. And I was by far the most underqualified candidate. My boss actually told me that when he called me to offer me the job. And I was like, are you hiring me or just telling me that I'm unqualified? <laughs> um, but he was like, he, it was crazy. Cause I was praying about like, should I do this? Because I want to preach the word of God. Like that's, what's really deep in my heart is to share God's word. And I was like, we'll see. And he called me and he said in his exact offer, he said those words, like I, we kind of thought we wanted one thing, but when I was praying with it, um, he said, I realized I wanted a preacher, like Seriously. someone who could like communicate that way. And so it was just the Lord really solidifying. So I went in and I knew nothing, which I loved because I love being like not the smartest person in the room because yeah. then I can learn a ton. So I just got to be, I just consider it. I love my time there. Um, I considered it such a blessing because I just got to learn. Like I went in at 22 years old and was like, okay, I have to write a bill. I have to, you know, research yeah. contract law. How do I, do I have that? to yeah. go talk to 60 year old legislators yeah. that have been here. And so it was like, it just, I constantly had to get over myself, you know? Oh man. I, uh, there's so many reasons that I love that part of your story. Number one, you recognizing, like, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. And so putting your hat in the ring for something that you knew was actually above you. And, and, mm -hmm. and I don't mean like above you, in, in your dignity or whatever, but like sure, it sure. was above your, your education and your experience or whatever, but to simply say, I want to grow and I want to learn more and I want to take more in. I mean, I, I yeah. love that. And talk about just a witness of, um, I just want to do what God wants me to do. And if, and if he wants to do it, he'll open the door. You know, I feel like I've mm -hmm. had a few of those things in my own life recently where I'm like, I am so not the person Lord, I am so not uh, able. I'm so I'm not smart enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not enough, enough, enough. And yeah. just to receive that affirmation or that confirmation of like him saying we want a preacher and that mm -hmm. being the thing that the Lord had put in your heart. I mean, it's just it's yeah. beautiful. And I got to know, where did that come from in you? I mean, you're just this like bought in, sold out um, disciple, where, where did that begin for you? Was that always there? Did that come later? I mean, how did you become this like awesome, well-formed person? Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is due to my family. You know, my parents are, you know, they, they obviously work, um, as lay evangelists full time, but also like just their stories, like they were so radical. You know, as we were growing up, my mom is a convert from Judaism. She converted when she was in college. And so she basically like her, her, her whole family disowned her when she became a Christian. You know, my grandparents sent private investigators to follow her because they <gasps> thought she was joining a cult, you know? So she like really put everything on the line. Um, and my dad actually was, he's from Minnesota. He was in the seminary for many years, moved out here, was going to like live single, be a traveling preacher essentially. And I mean, they just both had very strong calls on their life and they came together and that was the purpose of their marriage. And it was the purpose of our family, you know, like there, we were always taken care of, but we weren't, you know, we'd sometimes, you know, the money dried up for the mission and they didn't know where it was going to come from and had to trust God, you know? So that was the witness. And I think, especially for me in high school, that kind of came to fruition as the youngest, I was home for two years by myself with my parents and I really had a deeper conversion when I was a junior in high school, like the summer before that and going in there. Like I'd always, I, I never doubted that God was real. I always 
like believed in Jesus and I had had like experiences of him, you know, at camp or different places, or maybe like some people have had on retreats, but I didn't really like God wasn't a part of my daily life. Um, and really when I went, started ending like middle school and into high school, I just had like, I had a lot of anger. I had, um, looking back, like I was probably depressed, you know, like I had, um, Hmm. some things in my family coming up and it's just like, you're going into high school and you start to straddle the line, you know? And I, I ended up, um, just having some really like serious sin that I struggle with in my life. That was a secret, you know? And so publicly I was a leader. I was a spiritual leader, all these things, but with every passing day, I was more and more felt more and more trapped in myself. Um, Hmm. and so I, um, through a different series of events, I wound up, I wound up going to confession and confess like years of really mortal sin. And I remember distinctly walking out of the confessional and it was like, I was wearing glasses with like covered in dirt and it was like somebody had just taken and like wiped it. And it was totally clear. Like I remember skipping down the hallway. I felt so light. And that really like started me on this path of like, like having that forgiveness and that mercy started me on this path. And then the big clincher for me, um, in my walk with the Lord was I was a counselor at a camp that my mom actually runs and her and another young woman who I really looked up to were like, Hey, we would love to pray for you for more of the Holy spirit in your life. Like, do you want that? I was like, sure. Sure, And they prayed for me and nothing happened. And I went and sat back down, but really that I point to that moment that implanted me like implanted in me something that I could not do myself. It was like, Mm. all of a sudden I started to devour the word of God. Like I had this insane hunger for the things of God. And it was like, God took my natural personality and like totally transformed it for him. Like he just gave me this insatiable hunger where I was like, everything that I want, I want to do it for the kingdom. And I remember praying one day and the Lord was just like, you're mine. Your life is mine. Everything that you'll do will be for my kingdom. I was like, okay. And then the rest of my life has been trying to fulfill that moment when I was 17 years old. Wow. Okay. So you go to college in St. Paul, Minneapolis. You spent time there afterwards being a lobbyist uh, with a stint in DC. And now you're back in Michigan. So what was that transition, especially in regard to kind of receiving that call on your life um, and this continuing hunger to serve and whatever? um, what, what happened between Minnesota and Michigan and your personal development in really asking, Hey Lord, what is it that you want from me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hit a, I hit a point where I really started to crave, like, I I liked what I was doing and I knew I was contributing, but I knew that I didn't want to be there long-term and really lobbying, especially is something that you give, you have to, I mean, you give yourself a hundred percent to everything that you do, but really like the political world in a sense, especially when you're in session, it consumes your life. Like if you're an important lobbyist, you're there till, you know, two, 3am while they're making decisions that mm-hmm. in the moment seem like they don't matter at all. Like you just yeah. want to get home. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it was like, do I want to make this investment and go hundred percent or do I want to kind of move more in the direction? And the way that I, I think about what the Lord was doing for me in that time is like, there's really like this spectrum of, ways that we're all called to serve because every single person, whether they're like us and they work for the church or not, or you work at a bank, you know, you have a participation, you have a role on this spectrum. Right. And so that is everywhere from like 
that that spectrum is like influencing culture, we would say. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, a part of that spectrum that I was working on as a lobbyist, which would be trying to influence people's hearts and minds who were not converted. So who didn't have an understanding of, you know, how God created us to be um, a Christian understanding of things. And so to try to, to do that on a level where you're trying to convince people of human issues um, where they don't have that foundation is a call for some people. And I highly, highly respect them because I just realized that it wasn't mine. You know, um, to be in those arenas and to, to be, um, in, to be witnessing in that way, because it's a witness is very difficult. And, um, some people have that call and I just, the more that I did it, the more I realized, like, I just want to, like, I want to be at the beginning of the spectrum, which is trying to influence people when it comes to faith. And so really like preaching the gospel and trying to help people who don't know Jesus have an encounter with Jesus. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot in between on that spectrum. So I, that realization was happening more and more for me. I just found myself like I would drive out like six hours to some random Minnesota town and I would get through the material (laughs) and we would talk about it. And then I would stay like two hours after, like, I remember I was at a parish in St. Cloud one time and I was the youngest person in the room by like 50 years, you know, and we got through all the material, asked all the questions. And I was there like two hours after my time, like pray, like praying over like some 60 year old man for like more of the Holy spirit. And it's like, you know, just reading from, I would just open up the Bible. Like I, at a certain point I went to my boss and I said, I'll travel all over and share these priorities. If you also let me preach the word of God, if you let me open up the scriptures. And so I just started doing that because it gave me life, you know, and the more I did that, the more I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. You know, I just, it brought me to life. It brought other people to life. And yeah. um, And so that transition started to happen until I was just like, I'm not mentally or spiritually here anymore. So I need to, to move on. And so the director of ID intentional disciples is a very good family friend. He reached out to me and was like, Hey, do you want to do this job? And I did, but he was like, you have to fundraise your salary. And I was like, but I'm not doing that. So bye. (laughs) (laughs) So then I went away for a while and then the Lord really started to, to work on me and I was just like, yeah, like I want to build community. I want to be able to preach the word of God. And so actually after I made that transition, I found out that my dad had been praying for that time. Cause there was a certain point where I would call my dad every day and be like, I want to be in ministry the whole time. I want to be in ministry full time. Should I quit today? Should and he, you know, and he'd be like, just wait, just wait. And some of the best advice I re- this goes back to not being the smartest person in the room. Some of the best advice I received during that period of wanting to move on was um, like the best thing for, for a developing leader, the best thing that you can do is when you start to feel that tension to purposely stay in a place for a long period of time where you're submitted to the leadership of another person, like completely submitted so that you develop the character that you need to carry the call that God has on your life when it's time for you to step into leadership. And so someone gave me that advice at that time. And so I started to feel that tension and there was a lot of pride in me that needed to die. I needed to be submitted for a long period before I could really step into what God had for me. To the authority above you kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. That's, that's, uh, beautiful and intense and super hard because I think it's, you know, and you kind of got to find that line too of like, all right, well, what's a long period of time or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, to intentionally say I'm going to pause for at least a little while longer and mm-hmm. receive in the struggle, receive in the difficulty of the place that I'm at, what God has right. for me here. 
uh, mm-hmm. until he says it's time. So what what happened with your dad? He was kind of praying over yeah, your so, life in this way. What happened? Yeah. So the organization that I work for now, it's um, run by actually my dad as the vice president. And my godfather, Ralph Martin, is the president. And so we have a lot of relationships tied in. And so he, my dad had been praying and I didn't know after this because they had been talking about when is the right time for me to come home. And I would always ask, I'd be like, so are you guys going to hire me yet? You know, and he would act like they hadn't even been thinking about it. You know? Yeah. He would be like, yeah, whatever. So after I got back, I um, found out that he had been praying. And one morning he was just sitting in his chair, taking a prayer time. He, he takes, um, long extended prayer times in the morning and he just was praying and he felt like the Lord just said, it's time you know, it's time for Rachel to come home. And so he, um, he and Pete kind of conspired and they were like, yeah, it's time, you know? And so to have, for me hearing that, if I had heard that when I was deciding, I would have come home right away because my dad's word is like above everything to me. You know, I would be like, oh, my dad said I should come home. I'm coming home. <laughs> so I was blessed that I, ha- I had my own discernment. But when I got home, it was just such a confirmation from the Lord to be like, wow, I had that, those people praying for me. And also just, yeah, this is the right thing. This is the right step. It is the right timing. And it's not just like me grasping at something I want. It was actually like waiting for the Lord to, to open the door. Mm. I, that resonates in so many ways because several different times throughout, uh, through on the podcast with different guests that have come up, I feel like there's this reoccurring theme of fatherhood that's starting mm-hmm. to show up. I'm just recognizing it in different, you know, interviews and stuff that I've done. Yeah. The power of a praying dad, the power of, of a dad. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's so remarkable. And um, no matter how old you are, like whether you're a little girl or whether you're well in your way of like career yeah. and, right. you know, adult life. Um, yeah, there's just this authority. And I even see it in like, men and women that are in their thirties, forties, fifties, looking at their dads in their seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever. Like there's just this role in this place that dads play. Uh, and so for him to just be praying that like authoritatively over your life, uh, Mm -hmm. asking the Lord when it's time and then receiving that and, and just having the confidence and the clarity to, to recognize it and to, to move on it, you know, like a dad is an, is a man of action, you know, a holy dad is a man of action. And so, yeah, I just, I think that's so beautiful. Um, so you've been now with, uh, intentional disciples with ID for how long? About a year and a half. A year and a half. Okay. So I, when we were, when we were chatting a couple weeks ago or whatever, whenever it was, um, you had been talking about in that transition, um, a year and a half ago from Minnesota to Michigan, kind of feeling like you were a little bit burnt out and needing just a better rhythm to your life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You were just talking about the importance of a rhythm of rhythm of life. And I'd love to, to hear from you what you meant by that um, and what has that started to look like for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So when I transitioned, I actually, I took a break and I like thought it was a break. It really wasn't a break. Um, cause I was like, Oh, I'll take a couple of weeks to like reset. Cause I, by the time I left my lobbying job, I was so stressed. Like I got an ulcer. I was just like, not do, I wasn't sleeping all the stuff. Wow. So I got back and I, you know, I, my habits got better. You know, I wasn't like only drinking coffee and like just running around all the time, but I, my habits got better, but I still had just a crazy schedule. And it was almost like I had this level of busyness that was like, um, 
I felt like I was like earning God's love in a sense, you know, that I'm like, okay, my schedule, it was like a badge of honor, you know, that I was so busy that it's like, oh, sorry, I can't fit you in my schedule because I just, I'm so important because I'm so busy. You know, I think we all have, we all have that. Oh, I wish listeners yeah. could see your face when you said that. That was the cutest. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just so important. And it's like, we would never say that. But when we really like look in ourselves, yeah. it's like, oh, that's why I'm projecting that because it's yes. a source of validation. Because yes. I'm putting my validation in these things that I'm doing and not in the father. Oh, you know, guilty. Guilty. Yes. Continue. Yeah. And oh. so I started to realize that. And honestly, it wasn't until I literally could not travel. It wasn't until quarantine that I started to actually change habits. Like I knew that I needed to change and that my schedule needed to change. Um, and that just like the way that I prioritized my life needed to change. And that didn't happen until I literally could not do the things that I was doing. Like that God was like, I'm turn, I'm turning off the treadmill. Like you have to get off. And I heard this, um, a pastor that I love, his name is Francis Chan. He had this great like analogy at the beginning of COVID. And he was like, we're all like, God just shut down the treadmill and it's not moving, but we're all running on it because we don't know how to stop. You know, like we're running on an unmoving treadmill because we don't know how to stop the busyness inside here, you know? And so that was really my experience is like, I, all of a sudden everything stopped and I was like, okay, I really need to start having kind of a rhythm of life, a rule of life. A rule of life is you know, mainly taken from the teachings of St. Benedict, who, you know, was, um, was a monk and it was the way that they lived their life. And it was literally like written out, like from, this is the time we get up in the morning. This is how we deal with prayer. This is how we deal with all these things. And so to adapt that to like a modern lifestyle, pretty much what I've done is, um, I learned a lot from, I read a book at the beginning of, um, the year called the ruthless elimination of hurry. And it's all about how hurry is like the biggest enemy of the spiritual life. Mm. Um, and it's very, it was very convicting. And in it, it talks about really like to be a Christian means to practice the way of Jesus. So we open up the scriptures and we see a number of different rhythms that Jesus lives through his life, right? We see Jesus lives prayer. He lives silence and solitude. He's always going off by himself. He lives community. He heals the sick, you know, he breaks bread, he spends time with his family, all of these different things that we see through scripture. And so then as disciples, a disciple is just someone who do who does what Jesus did, if he were you, uh, takes those things and says, now, how do I incorporate these in my life, first and foremost, and so like to really sit down and say, like, right now, what are the I had to be like, what are the priorities in my life? Um, and for me, honestly, I had to be like, oh yeah, God is definitely a priority in my prayer time. But then when I leveled like how much time I was spending in prayer versus how much time I was spending on Instagram was insanely different, you know? And then I was like, oh, okay. Like I would never say that social media is a priority, but yet I spend a ton of time on it. So every, you have a rule of life, whether or not you know it. And so mm, I was yeah. coming to see that I had a rule of life. But it and wasn't it was one that you by, yeah. yeah, it was set by these different things. It was set by um, grasping at love through relationships. It was set by my phone and social media. And so to start deconstructing that, I literally sat down and was like, what, what are the rhythms, the healthy rhythms that I need and that I want to have? So the main ones that I began to develop were uh, more intentionally were prayer, silence and solitude and Sabbath were the okay. main three rhythms that I started to put into my life. Okay. And so it's just rhythm is just like something that you live consistently, right? Tell That's me, 
tell me the difference between prayer for you and silence and solitude, because a lot of people find prayer in silence and solitude, right? right? But you've drawn that out distinctly. So what's the difference? Part of the reason for drawing it out distinctly, I mean, they're, they're connected. You, you need silence and solitude to pray. Um, but the level of noise that we have like in our life and in our society is crazy. Like you can't even have an original thought. Like even if you have an Apple watch, you can't even have an original thought in the shower, you know, like you always have something telling you, um, what's happening. Like you, we always have noise. And so for me, I, I like to separate it out because I need to practice just being silent and I need to practice just being alone. Um, because the practice of just doing that, um, without reading scripture, without reading, um, a devotional, without journaling, a huge part of my prayer is I journal. Um, I've journaled for years. I love it. I read scripture every single day. Um, that's a huge, that is also a huge rhythm for me, daily scripture reading, um, because scripture is food can't survive without it, just like the Eucharist. Um, and so I separate those out because I just get distracted very easily. And so when I'm reading it, it disrupts my inner silence. And so I need a lot of practice in being alone and in being silent so that I can cultivate because the goal is to cultivate in what we call an inner furnace. So to have my heart become a place where even if I'm in a, a room full of noise, I can have like inner silence. Mm-hmm. You know, I can have that place that's like a furnace that, you know, is, is rarely opened, but contains like an immense amount of love and wisdom and all these different things. So I have to separate it out just because I'm bad at it and I need extra practice. (laughs) Have you read any Michael O'Brien? I haven't. So he's like a, he's a Catholic fiction author. He wrote, uh, gosh, is it father Elijah and eclipse of the sun and some of those his description of that inner silence in the characters that he develops is so profound. It just was this like, mm. oh, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about inner yeah. silence. Like he just had this yeah. example of a pre- this totally. character of a priest or whatever. And it was just so, yeah, so moving where he would be in this busy place and yet internally could find this rest and solitude. And I only bring that up because I'm thinking right now of – the busy parents that are listening to this, the yeah. stay-at-home mom that has not had a moment of silence to herself mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in weeks or whatever, right? Like maybe in the shower, maybe, but likely not. She's typically yeah. interrupted. Back in the, yeah. Right, right. Or the dad that's like working, providing for his family, like trying to get up in the morning and then is home and trying to be present to his family and that kind of thing. And right. And I just would love to know, because I know you work with so many different people kind of in right. that, in that phase of life, what is, what's a practical rhythm of life that you could offer or some tips or encouragement that you could offer to those type of people listening to this that are like, yeah, that are just kind of in that phase, right. especially with little kids who are, mm-hmm. who are really demanding. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, one practical thing that I I actually do, but I think also is really helpful when you aren't able to take that time because a a practice that I am so grateful to be able to do is like, first thing when I get up in the morning, I'll take that chunk of time. But like, I live three minutes away from my sister, you know, who has three kids under the age of six, you know, and so she can't do that first thing in the morning, you know, so um, is to put timers on, not timers, but like uh, alarms on your phone every single hour, like for like the last minute of every single hour of the day or however many you want, like 24 hours or 12 hours might be like really annoying and excessive, but like 
yeah. four times, you know, you yeah. start with like four times to so just like stop for 10 seconds in the last minute of every hour and just like acknowledge God in your heart to just like, Jesus, I acknowledge your presence with me here right now. You know, cause that's, it's just, it's a practice. It's a practice that involves our mind, our body and our spirit, you know? So even practically like seeing it, picking it up or seeing it on your Apple watch or, you know, setting a timer on your microwave or whatever it is, or putting a post-it note, like in three different places in the house that, you know, you see the most, whether that's your mirror, um, your above fridge. the toilet, I don't yeah. know. You know yeah, like, totally. <laughs> Yeah, of your car to just say like, I'm going to stop and I'm going to acknowledge because Jesus knows where we're at. And he's not like, you have to have this unattainable thing for your season of life. And unless you're doing this particular rhythm, you can't get there. You know, that's mm-hmm. not how the Lord works. You know? mm-hmm. My friend Howie does that at the top of every hour. Um, we'll stop and take that minute or whatever. And, um, and I think that's such a good practical uh I don't even, people might be hearing this and be like, that's not practical. What if I'm in a meeting or whatever? And it's like, but that's exactly it. Like it's the practice of within the ordinariness of everyday life, like having that internal uh, place in which we can reside and Mm -hmm. meet the savior there kind of thing. And talk about Advent being a, I'm just thinking like what a perfect time to implement something like that and to have that just consistent rhythm of draw me back. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, Matt and I were talking last night and, uh, I just, I was just kind of realizing maybe the hurry as you were describing it that Mm -hmm. I have been in, like, I've just been in this hustle mode and, uh, the question that was part of our little uh, evening reflection or whatever was like, what's keeping you, oh gosh, what was it? What's keeping you from like receiving more of Christ's love in your life or something right now. And I was like, wow, hurry and hustle. And like all of these things that are just like prohibiting me from finding real rest and, and like just the distractions that I think Mm -hmm. are so, that are so present. Um, Okay. I know one of the other things that you talked about was community, the importance mm-hmm. of community in establishing kind of whatever rhythm of life somebody right. might might feel called to. What mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? What does that look like? How does that work? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we it it's impossible to live any type of consistent spiritual life, right, without kind of a, a team of people that you're running with in different seasons that might be your family, that might be you know, your friends that might, you know, that might be a combination. It might be a small group. So, um, we, the way that we approach it here at ID, we work with small teams that we say, this is your community. And so you create not only an individual rhythm, but a communal rhythm of life, you know? So that's for our people, it looks like meeting once a week together and having some kind of, um, rhythm of prayer, communion, and mission. And so for people who are just in their normal lives, that could be like family dinner. That could be um, going to mass on Sunday with some people and having brunch, you know, whatever fits into your life, but having something consistent where you're with other followers of Jesus, where you're able to have some element of prayer. Um, One thing that I would recommend that is huge for community building is eating together. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got to eat, you know, and a way that you can do this actually that a, a really kind of fun exercise to do even just with your family is like sit down with your husband or sit down with, you know, whoever and write out 
every single thing that you have to do in a day. Like that, that it's non-negotiable. You have to do in a day, even if it's like literally like I have to go grocery shopping every Monday, I go grocery shopping, stuff like that. So then, okay, every Monday I go grocery shopping. So I'm going to invite, like, I'm going to call up my friend and say, Hey, I have to go grocery shopping tomorrow. It's Monday. Like at this time, do you want to come with me and get your grocery shopping done? Then all of a sudden you have a community activity that you're doing in the context of your normal life, you know? So to try to get creative about it, it doesn't have to be like, you have to go to a prayer meeting or you have to go to a small group. Just like, what am I already doing in my life? That's a rhythm. You know, what are the natural rhythms of my life and how do I invite other people into them? Okay. You just totally radically (laughs) shifted my brain in a lot of ways, more than I even think that I would have thought that it would have shifted my brain. Because I I would say I'm totally a community-oriented person. I'm an extrovert. I love being around people. But so much of what my community rhythm looks like right now is like we stop the other things to come spend Mm -hmm. time together, which is a huge gift. But it can also feel um, burdensome at times Mm -hmm. because, right, busy family life or busy work or whatever – and burdensome is actually too strong of a word, but I think, I think people will know what sure. I'm saying, right? Where it's like, okay, when yeah. are we going to do this? How are we going to find time to like fit in this desire that we have for community, but shifting that and like, let's do our laundry together or mm-hmm. let's, well, yeah, do our grocery shopping together or yeah. whatever. I, I just think, or let's go Christmas shopping together. Like those things that you right. just need to do, but to invite other people into that process, into the ordinary. And there's something so bonding about that. I think that's mm-hmm. why. Um, like high school students, college students, uh, young adults that are living together in community, the bond that you have with those people is so strong because you're actually Mm -hmm. just doing ordinary life together. Right. Where when you're just friends or whatever, like it's more difficult to do the ordinary stuff of life. Everything else kind of pauses and you like have intentional conversation or share a meal together or whatever. Um, Which is great. And this this is yeah. where I love this because it gets elevated without like taking it out of the context of your life. And so, so often we think of like, okay, this is the, this is extra stuff where I have, that I have to do, which is great to be in a small group. It's great to do this extra stuff, but unless we get into the fabric of each other's lives, like we can't form the type of relationships that we really need to form mm, to survive. That's really. and, and not only lies, to survive, yeah. but we're not just called to like be able to keep this alive in our homes. Like the purpose of Christian community, like Jesus didn't just come to like restore me in the future in heaven. Like Jesus's plan for now is renewal and restoration. And it's also renewal and restoration of the temporal order. So like when I come into relationship with Jesus and when a community comes together, the purpose of the community is not just to like be there and be together and like each other. The purpose of the community is to step into the everyday stuff of life and begin to renew and restore everything around you with Jesus as a partner. And so like, that's when you're doing laundry together, when you're going grocery shopping, when you're doing these different things, that's part of your life. You're not compartmentalizing this is where I talk about my Jesus stuff. And I don't know about you, but it's super easy for me to go to like my small group, which I love and be like, I'm just going to share 50% of what I'm feeling. And it seems like I'm going super deep, but I'm really not. And I still have this whole part of me that I'm not known, you know? So we need to have like these stubbornly tight knit relationships for 
to help each other along, but also because we have a high responsibility and it's to renew the people at Trader Joe's. It's to renew, you know, the, the people in your neighborhood. It's to bring that restoration and partner. And that happens without even like going on being a missionary or going out, you know, in a super radical way. It's just in your life. Oh, preach. Rach, that's so good. Okay. I feel like I could do a whole nother podcast just about (laughs) The community aspect. I need to have you on a deal um, to to unpack that more because I think it's so central to the human person. And mm-hmm. I think societally, we do not know how to do community well. We yeah, just don't know how to be in relationship well because we don't know how to be vulnerable well. And mm-hmm. I I think that's a perfect example. Like we can go we can go to our small group and only share fifty percent, not because we're even like attempting to withhold, right? But like so much happens within the human experience in a day, in an hour, in a, you know, in a week, let alone. And so to come together weekly and try and like get everybody this opportunity to to share the depth of, you know, what's going on in their life, it's just not really practical. And so, yeah, like bringing into the ordinariness of, of our lives, these relationships, like calling them on the way home from work, how was your day, whatever, like that just builds this intimacy Mm -hmm. and this honesty within relationships. Okay, yeah, you're totally coming for back sure. on for another conversation <laughs> about community. Um, okay, uh, last question, Rach. Every every guest that I have on Lead Them to Life, I ask if there's a question that you have been pondering. And this really just kind of stems from my desire to uh, leave listeners with something to be thinking about. Um, and the only rule is that you cannot answer your own question. This is a place with more questions than answers. So we're, we want to leave with one question um, that you've been pondering. Okay. Well, can I, I was thinking about this actually. Um, so I'm going to break the rule and I'm going to do two questions. Okay. Bring it one on. Is like not, one is not serious. Okay. Bring it on. Because I felt like I couldn't just do a serious one because I'm not really serious. Um, <laughs> my not serious one, this is legit. Like I am on the hunt for the best chocolate chip cook- cookie recipe. Like that is like my question of like, what is the best chocolate chip cookie? Okay. Like I literally just made a batch the other night. I made probably six different batches. So if you guys hear this, please send us your chocolate chip cookie recipe. Have you seen that episode of Friends where Monica, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, Monica's trying to find the recipe. Phoebe's grandma has passed her down one. Oh and she gosh. calls it like, yeah, the recipe is called uh, Nestle Toll House or something. <laughs> and Monica, like after days staying up all night trying to make this? and recreate these perfect chocolate chip cookies is like Nestle Toll House. Are, are you freaking kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's <laughs> so funny. Okay, I so cannot help you in that department, but... Absolutely. Listeners, send us your best chocolate chip cookie recipes for Rach. Um, And my more serious one, which is a like a question that I try to ask um, myself every day because it's just a a way that I try to live is um, and I'll explain it. But a question that I ask myself every day when I get up and interact with people is how can I give what I need? And so a lot of times we mm. go through life being like, I need more affirmation or I need more love in this area or I need that. And so I started being like, how can I give? Like, how can I kind of take um, stock of what I'm feeling and how can I give what I need in that moment? So if I feel like I need a compliment, I'm going to give it, you know, because then that like doubles the encouragement and that doubles the love, you know, not to get one back, but it's just like, how can I give what I need? How can I give other people what I feel that I need? Because if I need it, you probably need it. That's so, that's good, Rachel. I'm impressed. That's, I've never thought about it in that way. Um, 
And I can't wait to talk to Matt about that because I feel like he and I both uh, recently have just been had a few things where we're like, oh, I just feel like I need this or I need this from you or I need this, you know, from my work environment or whatever. And to just flip that question on its head of how can I also give that uh, mm. into the world? How can I breathe that into the world? It's so good. Rach, yeah. this was an awesome conversation. Yeah, this is so fun. Thank you for sharing your preacher heart with us. It's it's absolutely contagious and joyful and yeah, such a gift. And like I said, I would love to have you come back on for a further conversation about community and especially how you're doing that with intentional disciples, because you don't just like say, okay, here you go. You actually train people over a long period of time to be able to do this well. And I think that's really, um, yeah, we need to just have a whole nother conversation about it because I think it's so helpful. Yeah. Um, hey, where can people follow along with you and your world and um, yeah. that kind of thing? Um, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Just Intentional Disciples is okay. our um, Instagram. You can also follow me. It's just R Herbeck, um, H-E-R-B-E-C-K. And then you can kind of check out our whole suite of ministries um, at renewalministries.net. We actually have an awesome Advent mission going on with Ralph Martin every Sunday night during Advent. He's doing like live teachings, which is cool. So you can check that out, find all of that on our website, renewalministries.net. Great. Okay. And I'll include all of that in the show notes so that you can, um, listeners, follow along with the incredible work that this ministry is doing and um, just personally along with Rachel and her heart as well. It's just, yeah, like I said, Rachel, you're just a contagious soul and um, are doing incredible things for the kingdom and for uh, the community. So friends, thank you so much for listening. Share this episode with a friend, especially one that you want to go grocery shopping with. uh, And we will definitely see you next time. God bless. God bless.